So, um, In 1826, the element bromine was discovered by a Frenchman and a, a German gentleman. And bromine is a compound that is has to be drawn out of something else. It, you, you can't, you can't. There's no like pure bromine to be found out there. There's like no, there's not a bromine mine or bromine pool. You have to draw out of brine or or um, salt water. But it's used in agricultural things like pesticides. It's used in pharmaceuticals. It's used as a fire retardant. It's used in, in dyeing um, clothes. So there's lots of uses for this. And so by the beginning of the turn of the century, of the 20, 20th century, not the 21st century, there were only two sources of bromine. One was a conglomerate in Germany that made it and basically flooded the uh, European market at 49 cents a pound. And in the United States, it was a man named Herbert Dow. Dow Chemicals. It was produced in, in Michigan. And it was sold at 36 cents a pound. And there was kind of a gentleman's agreement that, you know, the Germans would service Europe and Dow would service the United States. And they wouldn't venture into each other's markets. But after time, Dow was kind of going downhill, if you will, and needed to expand his market. So he, he ventured across the pond into Britain and sold his 36 cents a pound bromine there. And of course, for a short moment, he captured the market in Britain. He also captured the upset the anger of this German conglomerate. And so they decided they, they were going to bury Dow. And so they shipped their bromine to the United States at 15 cents a pound. And they thought, this will bury him. Dow stopped making bromine altogether. And he bought up as much German bromine as he could. Repackaged it, sent it back to Britain, selling it at 36 cents, again, 22 cents cheaper than the, than the Germans. And the Germans, first of all, couldn't figure out two things. Why had they buried Dow? And why was there such a huge need or demand for bromine in the United States? So they decided to escalate it. You know, when they, instead of selling it at, at 15 cents, they're going to sell it at 12 cents and then 10 cents. And Dow kept doing what he was doing. And finally what happened was Dow broke the German monopoly in, in Europe over bromine and caused the Germans to lower their price. Here's the point of the story. Herbert Dow was showing a lot of business shrewdness. And here's the point. Maybe you'd be surprised that Jesus applauds being shrewd. He actually wants us to see that to be part of the Christian's life, his followers' their life, especially when it comes to advancing his kingdom and his purposes. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 16. Open them up to Luke chapter 16 and we'll see how Jesus is calling us, those who follow him, to be shrewd.
And we're going to read the first uh, 15 verses of chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles there, it's going to be on the screen behind me as well. So, Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do? My master is taking my job away. And I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, my people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he, he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little also will be dishonest with much. So, if you've not been trustworthy with handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts, and what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get into this interesting parable. So Lord Jesus, this is a challenging passage, um, but I'm convinced that you want us to act shrewdly with what you've given us. So again, would you open the eyes of our heart to help us see what you have for us. Lord, help us to respond and act when you're calling us to do. And Lord, if there's somebody here today that has yet to put their faith in you because of what you've done, I pray you'd be drawing them to yourself. They may come to be yours and be able to be part of your kingdom, which is forever. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, for the last three weeks, we've been in the previous chapter, chapter 15, where Jesus has been talking about lost things. He tells a parable of a lost sheep and a shepherd that leaves his 99 sheep to go find it. He tells the story of a lost coin, 
where a woman lost one of her coins, and so she sweeps her dirt floor, her dingy, dark room, until she finds that one coin. And when she finds it, she rejoices. And then Jesus tells a parable of a lost son who asks for his inheritance too early, goes away and squanders it, and realizes his fault, and returns hoping that his father will just make him a hired hand, but surprisingly finds himself welcome because of the father's heart for him. You see, God, in God's eyes, there are no throwaway people. And he loves lost people. He loves lost things. And he wants them to be restored to himself. God shows us the heart of the Father. It's a great reality. It's what we were singing earlier before I stood up here. But now Jesus is addressing his own disciples. That was to a, I would say, an adversarial audience, the Pharisees. They kind of were always looking to find fault with Jesus. Now he's talking to his own disciples, those who follow him. And now he's talking about don't live a throwaway life. There are no throwaway people. Now don't live a throwaway life. Live wisely. Live skillfully. Live shrewdly. Within the big scope of where Jesus, what's happening in Luke, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's going there for a purpose. To offer up his life. To die. Jesus, the Son of God, to die for sinful mankind, men and women, because we cannot reach back to God because of our own sinfulness. We're unable to do it. And He becomes that atoning sacrifice for men and women that they might be forgiven, that they might be reconciled, that they may be justified and have eternal life. But also, especially for His disciples, that they might be transformed and live for His eternal kingdom, for His eternal purposes. And that will take some shrewdness. That will take some shrewdness. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Again, let's go back to our parable. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what's this here I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be the manager any longer. Kind of the big overarching thought here is this. All of us will be held accountable for the things that have been given to us. All of us will be held accountable for the things that have been given to us. Our possessions, our money. And you know what? God gives us those things. They're given to us to enjoy, to meet our everyday needs for food, clothing, for shelter, to enjoy for extras like events or hobbies or vacations, tools, uh, instruments, nice things. And we can use it also to help others, to come alongside of others to show the visible love of Christ by helping them. But things, possessions, they can also have a dark side if they're held wrongly in our hearts. They can be abused. They can have a toxic impact on our soul. It can make us greedy to think I have the more stuff I have, the more life I have. It can make us selfish. It's my stuff. It's mine. It can make us stingy. I got mine, I hope you get yours, but you're not getting any of mine. 
It can make us dishonest. We'll try and take what someone else has. It can make us deluded to believe we have value because we have a lot of things. It can make us false. It can make us shallow. It can make us superficial. And it can give us the wrong priority. We start using people or even using God to get things. And also things can be squandered. Squandered. And that's what happens to our manager, to our steward. The word really is, is rooted in the Greek word for house manager. This guy had control over his whole master's household. His business dealings, what happened in the everyday comings and goings. He was the one who was responsible for making all those money, all that possessions, taking care of them well. But he squandered them. He was careless. He was haphazard. He gave no thought, consideration. It was poor management. And Jesus is implementing to us, just in this, intimating to us that we who follow him, we're going to be asked by about what we did with the things that God gave us. Did you use them in a way that was planning ahead, was looking to the future, or was it careful or haphazard? Or do you say, it doesn't have any relevance? It does. In fact, Jesus says it has eternal relevance. So this manager, because he mismanaged these things, is in a pickle. Let's see what happens next. Next, The manager says to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors, and he asked them, he asked the first, how much do you, do you owe my master? I'm going to take a brief, brief break here. What do you mean, how much do you owe my master? You're the steward. You should know this number. Maybe that's why he was getting fired. I don't know. Just a thought. <laughs> Bad bookkeeping, right? And the NIV says 900 gallons of oil. Your Bible may say 100 baths of oil. And so this is a, an attempt to, to kind of translate modernly uh, to the modern um, metric, if you will. There are one bath equals equals nine gallons. So so the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. So cuts, cuts the thing in half, right? Take your bill, quickly uh, write 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. Same thing. The NIV is trying to make it a modern, um, modern translation. A hundred cores equals... Uh, a thousand bushels, one core is ten bushels. And he told him, take your bill and make it eight hundred. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal blessings. So, the question we're asking is, are we being shrewd? Are we being wise with things? The things are given us. Now, I'm going to acknowledge the elephant in the room right now because I can bet most of you are thinking this. What is going on here with this parable? 
Jesus is commending a guy who ripped off his master, right? He gave one guy a a 50% discount on his debt, the other guy a 20% discount. What is going on here? He's setting himself up. It's a quid pro quo. He's, you know, trying to take care of himself, not his master. He's not being responsible. The answer is no. Jesus is not commending his dishonesty. He's commending his shrewdness. Shrewdness can be used in a bad way. It can be used in a good way. And here's another thing I, I want to tell you, especially when you're reading Jesus' is his parables. You can't drill down on every detail in a parable and always have a one-to-one application. It, it's not always true. Sometimes you, you end up missing the big picture, and this is one of those, one of those uh, situations here. Also realize the culture Jesus is talking to, which is a Mideastern culture, and they value shrewdness. It was part of their heritage. Jacob deceived his brother to get the birthright. Rahab deceived the guards in order to, to uh, preserve the two spies in Jericho. David acted like a crazy man when he was with the Philistines so that they wouldn't put him to death. And even Jesus, when they tried to entrap him, asking, saying, tell us, Master, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Jesus is shrewd. He says, okay, give me a coin. Whose picture's on here? Caesar, right? Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God, you're made in the image of God, what's God's? He was being shrewd in his answer. Okay? And the truth of the matter is, If we're truthful, we kind of admire shrewdness. As much as we hate to admit it, we'll watch a movie like Escape from Alcatraz, right? And we'll see how a guy breaks out of prison, and we don't approve of the action, but man, that you know, that's kind of clever. That was pretty sharp. Yeah, I gotta hand it to that guy. That's what this master is doing. He's not approving his dishonesty, he's approving his shrewdness. This, you know, this servant was heading towards poverty, towards homelessness, towards unemployment, impending ruin, and he did something. And even the Proverbs talks about us being shrewd. It says, the prudent see danger and take refuge for it, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. If there's something negative coming down your pipeline, you better be thinking about it. What would God have me do about this? Rather than just sitting on your hands, okay? But I will say this, Jesus, in this parable, kind of the conclusion, is making a differentiation between the sons of this age, or the sons of this world, and the sons of light, that is, his followers. If you look at the second half of verse 8, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than than are the people of light. You know what? The people of this world are good at being shrewd. And they may rip you off. You better watch out. I don't know how many emails I've gotten telling me I've been given four million pounds from some person in England telling me. And I, I shrewdly have to delete that every time I get it. Right? I have to be shrewd when people call me asking me to, to mail or send funds by Western Union because I'm stuck here somewhere in Iowa, you know, and 
and I ask a few questions, and all of a sudden, it turns out I'm, trying, I'm being ripped off. But Jesus is calling us again to be shrewd. But here's Jesus' application of this whole thing. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus is calling us to leverage our things, our money, our possessions to build relationships that will impact the kingdom of God, that we might love them, that we might bless them, that we might draw people to Jesus, that they might see His heart, His character. And in turn, for that, we'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings, into heaven. Okay, I'm going to stop right here real quickly. I want to tell you, I don't think Jesus or myself are proclaiming that you can buy your salvation. That's not what Jesus is saying here. There's one Savior, and it's Jesus, and it's what He has done on the cross. But it is Christ in us, acting with consistency with His values, His kingdom, to love people sacrificially, to give of yourself, and to value the things of the kingdom in order that it might advance. To be shrewd, to take advantage of what God has given you. And that can be, that can be abilities and opportunities as much as possessions or finances. Few examples. None of us have this platform, but think of Heisman Trophy, former professional uh, football player Tim Tebow. He used his platform to make his faith in Christ known, that others might be drawn to that. You know, when he won, when they won the national championship, he decided to change his little thing, you know, the little blackouts and put a little verse there. He put John 3.16. Guess what? That became the most Googled verse during that whole week. He's using that platform that people might um, somehow be drawn to Jesus. We've been talking about being good neighbors to draw people to Jesus, Right? I'm going to talk about a shrewd young man in our congregation, Nathan Onstad, who's sharing with me. He's going out there. He's, he's, he's got a business of snow removal. You know what? He's going to his neighbors. It's a great excuse to say, hey, I'm Nathan. I just live down the street, and I'd love to remove your snow for you. Great way to start making friends for the cause of Christ. I was with a group of pastors this week talking about opportunities, just taking opportunities to try and reach your neighbors. They were talking about what happened this last Halloween. One of the pastors said, you know what I did? I put my, I put my fire circle out in my front yard. I brewed up some, some cider and just had a, a place where people could come and some lawn chairs and come and hang out just in my neighborhood. And you know what? I had probably 20, 30 people stop by. It was great. During this Christmas, during this Christmas, it's coming up sooner than you know. Are we going to use that as an opportunity to reach out to people? Maybe you could throw just a, a Christmas open house at your place. Say, hey, I'm going to be open from 3 to, to 6. Come on by. Bring your favorite Christmas goodie. What ways are we being shrewd with what God has given us? But shrewdness has a wisdom in it also, not beyond just the taking advantage or being creative. But being wise. Being wise. You see, the things 
that we're holding on to or we have, they don't last. Jesus says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, literally when it fails, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, maybe me talking about these things kind of go, makes you uncomfortable. Why does, why does Jesus want my money? Why does Jesus want my things? He doesn't. It's all his to begin with, first of all. But second of all, he wants your heart. But here's, here's the thing. Jesus says, where your heart is, there your treasure is also. You see, what we value oftentimes is shown by what we spend our money on, what we spend our time on. Jesus says, I want your heart. But here's the thing. Jesus, number one, he graciously includes us in investing our earthly goods for his redemptive purposes. What a great thing to invest and see God bring fruit spiritual fruit out of that. It's amazing and it brings amazing heart satisfaction. But number two, he graciously lets us exchange our temporal earthly wealth for heavenly treasure that lasts forever. It lasts forever. Think about this. If somehow you were able to be transported back to the Civil War and you were given a million dollars in Confederate money. And you knew in about six months the war was going to end. What would you do with that money? Would you hold on to it? Because at the end of the war, it's just paper. It's not worth anything. Or would you figure out some way to translate that into something that was more valuable after that conflict was done? There's a shrewdness that Jesus is calling us to have. It's what he told a man who was asking for Jesus to settle a matter in his inheritance. When he, excuse me, a group of people that were looking to, to further their, their cause by inviting those who are rich to their, their banquets. And he said this in Luke 14. He said, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, and the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. And although they, they cannot repay you, you will be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. So folks, I'm going to tell you, when you give of your things to the poor, maybe that's something through the Salvation Army if, if you don't have a relationship with an individual, or to Minnesota Adult Team Challenge, or to New Life Ministries, which helps women with pregnancies, crisis pregnancies. Or you help out with Operation Christmas Child, where a box is sent to a country where they don't have Christmas. You know what's in those boxes? A, few, a rubber ball, a toothbrush, maybe some other things. that we say, Yeah, okay, that's all right. But these kids don't have Christmas. And this is like the most amazing thing they've ever received. And it opens up. It opens up the opportunity for the gospel to be, to be preached. And also, God credits it to you as something that translates beyond the value of this world. When we do that, when we give to the church even, which is Christ's bride, 
we are being shrewd. The things we have on this earth, they won't last. We can't take it with us, but it can be exchanged. It can be sent ahead. There was a man named Oskar Schindler during World War II in, in Krakow, Poland. They made a movie about him called Schindler's List. He thought he was being shrewd. He became a part of the Nazi party, opened up a, a factory, and he hired Jews that were being incarcerated to keep costs down. But he also discovered in, in hiring those Jews, he was actually saving their life. And after a while, it stopped being about making the buck. It stopped being about saving lives. He said, I need that person. They're essential to my operation. I need that person. They're essential to my operation. And he would use his earthly wealth, spend his own possessions to get that person into his factory. And if, you're, if you've seen the movie, at the very end, he's thinking about all the other things he could have sold to save others. These gold cufflings. I could have sold this. Cut one more. I could have sold this car and saved ten more. Folks, I'm going to tell you, when we stand before God, we won't be saying, I wish I had given less. I think we'll be saying, I wish I had given more. I wish I had given more. It's amazing. In saving others, Schindler actually saved himself. I think the same is true with us. The question Jesus also asks is, are we being faithful with things? Verses 10 through 12. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. With much, Whoever is dishonest with very little will be also dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy with handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Again, everything we've been given is from the hand of the Lord. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And we've been entrusted with some of those things. But in God's economy, He calls us to be faithful, to be trustworthy, to be honest with those things. And if we are, He entrusts us with greater things. Our character is tested. And if we're not trustworthy, if we're not people of integrity, if we're not honest, then he probably won't give us much more beyond what we have. If you have a desire to be entrusted with more, then my question is, are you being faithful with the little things you've been given? There was a pastor out on the West Coast named Greg Laurie. And he, when he was a young Christian, got excited about what was happening in his church. And he went to the, the pastor and said, I want to do what you do. I want to save souls. I want to, I want to help people come to know Christ. He said, great. See that stack of chairs over there? I want you to set them up. And then when the service is over, I want you to stack them up after that. I want you to be faithful in little things. And Lori started saying, well, what does that have to do with preaching the gospel? No, it's about being faithful in the little things. And now he has an amazing ministry on the West Coast, especially winning people to Christ. 
Are we being faithful with our finances, our time, our relationship? Where He's placed us, are we, are we blooming? Are we looking for greater things? No, be faithful where you're at right now. You'll be entrusted with greater things. And that, that might be finances. It might be just greater kingdom or relational influence. But why should give you more, God give you more if you're not being faithful with what you have right now? That's what he's asking us to do. Number three, do we have the right priorities with our things? Verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Again, Jesus is pointing back to the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your strength with everything you have. To not love anything more than Him. You know, in the literal translation, the Greek uses the word mammon for earthly wealth. It's interesting that the source or the root of that word comes from the same word we use for amen. Mammon, amen. Amen means that's true. Or that's trustworthy. See where I'm going with this? Sometimes we end up putting trust in mammon. Because we think that that's what's true. That's what's going to last. That's what's going to hold the day. And it really ends up being idolatry. Idolatry thinking that our things are our life. And we start to love the things. And Jesus had said earlier, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed because your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. No. It consists in God. God is our life. And He should have our first love. So it has to do with our faith. What are we putting our faith in? And it has to do with our affections. What are we giving our heart to? The right priorities have to be this. We have to, number one, worship God. Make him the number one priority. Number two, we need to love people who are made in God's image for whom Christ died. And number three, we need to manage the things that God has given us because he's going to call us to account for that. How do we use them? And the last thing that Jesus points to, again with a, a hostile audience, is that God sees what we do with things. The Pharisees, they're listening. Look, look at verse 14. The Pharisees who love money heard all this and they were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in the sight of God. If you don't know who the Pharisees were, they were the religious experts. They were the guys who are saying, we're the gold standard of what it means to follow God. The truth is, the Pharisees were guys that were hypocrites and really good at keeping up appearances. They were really good at being good. And they wanted everyone to know. And they thought they were being shrewd. They thought they had everyone buffaloed. But God could see their hearts. You know, when people come and, and share things with me, they can fool me. 
They can tell me a story that's not true or, you know, leaves out certain details. They can fool me. I'm, I'm just a man. But you can't fool God. He knows. He knows what you're doing with those things. He knows what your heart is towards those things. So don't think if you tell the pastor something that you fooled God. You haven't. He sees. He knows. And sometimes what we value is not what he values. In fact, he says, I find it detestable. No, we need to have the right priorities again. We need to worship God. We need to love people. We need to manage things. Well, within that management of things, Jesus is saying, what are you doing with the things he's been given you? Are you being shrewd? Are you being shrewd with what God has given you? Whether that, again, is opportunities, abilities, your possessions, your wealth. Are you being shrewd to advance my kingdom? Are you being shrewd to take what doesn't last and make it eternal? That's what Jesus wants us to know today. Let me pray for us, and then I'll invite the worship team to come and close us. And Lord, my prayer here is, first of all, that you would be speaking to our hearts in the unique position you've placed every one of us to be shrewd, to take what you've given us and use it wisely and creatively to advance your kingdom. Lord, for us to have right priorities, to not value mammon, our possessions, something that we can, it's visible before us and we're tempted to put our trust in it. But it's not our life, nor should it be our first love. So Lord, keep us from allowing that to become an idol for us. And Lord, my prayer also is for someone who misheard what I'm saying today. If they're, they're hearing me say that God was trying to fleece us or just is interested in our money, that's not the case, Lord. I pray that you would help them to hear that you want their lives. In fact, you sent your son who gave up his life for them that they might be his. So bring clarity to their hearts. Don't let them walk away confused with that today. But you are a great God who has made a way for us to be your people, to be your sons and daughters, and to give us eternal reward as you allow us to participate in your redemptive purposes. And I thank you for that. Lord God, make us shrewd in a godly way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.